As for the box office of this past weekend, we got to talk about Killers of the Flower Moon. It performed well, considering what type of movie it is in the history of Martin Scorsese's his history of Martin Scorsese's history as a filmmaker. But it did come under under wide industry projections, which had a wide range of twenty five to thirty five million. Big space. We had no idea how it was going to do. With Oppenheimer opening to eighty million, and who knows what the adult market is at this point. The film made twenty three million dollars this past weekend. I think that's great for a film like this. But it's so bad when you look at the production budget of $200 million. I still don't know how that amount of money produced a film like this. The film is set in one town for most of it, and I just don't really understand where it went. There aren't any visual effects in this film. I mean, there's a few with the explosion. I just assume, well, actually, I don't think there probably is any visual effects that look practical to me. I just assume it all went to Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert De Niro, and Mark Scorsese, and Apple probably bought out all the back end for these actors with the original deal. Meaning they probably won't get bonuses based off this box office performance. But trust me, they're doing all right when it comes to their salaries. As I said, I wasn't initially going to go to the theater. I, this wasn't initially going to go to the theaters. But Apple got smart and decided to give it a theatrical distribution first before it goes to Apple TV+. And this film won't be going to any other streaming services. It will not be available to buy or rent. And you will not be able to purchase a physical disc most likely. The only way you'll be able to access this film in the future is through Apple TV Plus subscription service. And that is exactly what Apple wants to happen. So in the scope of things, Apple does not care that it will lose a ton of money on this movie. All they care about is prestige of their streaming service and hoping more people will subscribe. They are the only streamer to have a best picture film win from, from them with Coda back in 2020. The, this, I think that, that was the movie, the Coda movie. And they're looking to continue that streak. Netflix is probably so pissed right now, but I hope Netflix sees this extra millions of dollars, millions of dollars that Apple is going to make to cover that up, even though they won't make $200 million. They won't make a profit on this in theaters. But if they see that they release that, they made so much money, gave it a wide theatrical distribution, gave it a theater platform, and then they're going to up subscribers on Apple TV+. Plus. I hope Netflix sees this and realizes that their model is so stupid and they need to put their big films in theaters before going to streaming. It would be so much better than that system what they have now. And Netflix... They just put out a trailer for Leave the World Behind, starring Marsha Lee, and you got, uh, crap, I forgot her name, uh, just Julia, Julia, gosh, Julia Gardner, no, I'm shit, oh well, but that trailer looks so good, and looks like they spent so much money on that, and they won the bid for it, and I feel like it would have been so much better if they just put it in theaters, and I want to experience it on the big screen, they're doing limit, they always do these limited theater ones in November, like a month, like a couple weeks before the movie comes out, and they're in four theaters in New York and LA, ridiculous. Wide distribution for these films, Netflix. Get your act together. And I think Oscars aren't going to reward you until you release it wide distribution, like Apple is doing. And Apple, thank you that you're releasing wide distribution. Overseas, Killers of the Flower Moon opened worldwide to $44 million. So as I said, it did not make a ton of money for Apple TV Plus here. On a scale of $44 million opening to $200 million budget. That's not very good. Domestically speaking, with a $23 million opening, that delivers Scorsese's second best as a director. Only other Shutter Island, which opened to $41 million. And then The Departed, which opened to $26.8 million. This opening stateside is even better than Wolf of Wall Street, which I think opened to about $19 million. And you see how much that film still takes over pop culture nowadays. I feel like if they open that now, with audience's reaction, these tentpole, high high concepts, or highly sophisticated blockbusters, I feel like that would have weighed, made over 30 maybe up to 40 just depending on how the marketing was, because it has such a cultural impact. The opening stateside is, as I said, better than that. But younger audiences also turned up for Killers of the Flower Moon. Under 35, the under 35 demographic was 46% of the film's audiences, which is odd considering how films like The Flash and Indiana Jones underperformed those demographics, while Killers of the Flower Moon and Oppenheimer both over overperformed those demographics. Very interesting. I think that Hollywood is underestimating the attention span of Gen Z. I think we just talked 
constantly taking short form content through TikTok. I feel like they're leaving a big market underserved. They really need to cash in on those analytical uh, analytics. Let's stop appealing directly to Gen X with the Michael Keaton returning. I mean, I love it. Indiana Jones returning, but this is not the new generation's characters. And they're probably going to do the same thing in 30 years, but I feel like they're just leaving a big market underserved and probably younger millennials and Gen Zers. And they may be a finance at Freddy's now. They're probably learning this. And then so many young people went and saw an Oppenheimer. And now this. Maybe they finally get the message. The film also had an A- minus on cinema score, and I was curious how audiences were going to react to this film. Again, I didn't per se like it overall, but audiences, I, I respect what it was trying to do, but audiences are loving it, especially for a depressing film like this. A- minus is extremely good, and this film will have legs to carry it out. So in Apple's minds, this is just advertising for Apple TV+. In Martin's or Sissy's mind, this is a piece of art he created, and for movie theater owners, it's a flop. But it's better than not having a film in the theater in the first place, which is what they're going to do with all these strikes. But it did it did okay relative to its budget no but it's just an advertising platform for apple tv plus so there you go if you are a cinephile type i would still recommend going out and judging this one for yourself again even though i didn't really enjoy it as for taylor swift the heiress tour in her second weekend martin scorsese was ranting the past five years about superhero films little did he know his opening ground would be taken by taylor swift pretty funny to see that happen and taylor swift's the heiress tour second weekend the film fell 66% to $32 million, which is a harsh drop considering the A-plus of cinema score, but this is a concert movie that is going to be extremely front-loaded, and these numbers are depicting that. Still, the film has now crossed $130 million domestically and has run laps around the concert around the concert and movie theaters competition, if that makes sense. So, like, any other concert movie that released, like, Justin Bieber, I think, was the biggest one, and then you have a Michael Jackson one. She's going to pass. Zoom right past him. Taylor Swift's second weekend is bigger than the previous record for biggest concert opening. So, you have, in records, you got... Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift, I think Justin Bieber. That's the record now. Worldwide, the film now stands at 770 million, which is lower than I would have expected. And I feel like everyone feels similar again. As I said last week, based on those pre-sale numbers and the hype going into it, Swifties are really freaking loud, I guess. But I thought this would get closer to 340, 300 to 400 million range rather than topping out around somewhere in the $200 million range. AMC is taking what they can get because they are taking a huge share of these profits along with Taylor Swift, who owns all of the ancillary stuff. So she's decided what streaming service that goes on. Probably Disney Plus, based on her working with it previously. I think she released an Evermore thing with Disney Plus previously. I'm pretty sure it's probably going to end up there. Who knows? Streaming services will be bidding for it after they have no content out. Along with a biz with a setting, she also can set the buy and rent price on those platforms. Taylor Swift is taking all the money straight to the bank and straight to the chief stadiums. So, again, I would call this disappointing based on the immeasurable hype audiences it had going in the past weekend, but it's still money in the bank and lots of it. Millions of dollars. And then lastly, before we get rid of the box office conversation, I have to talk about the Marvels, which just came along for, tra- came along for tracking. Um, it is not good. The Marvels, which opens on November 10th, is now eyeing a $75 to $80 million three-day opening weekend at the domestic box office. That's really bad. The first Captain Marvel opened $153 million back in 2019, two months before Avengers Endgame came out. So you had all of that hype carrying it. And this film has a $220 million budget. And that's just absolutely absurd for the direction that they took it in. I think they followed creatively down the path that people hated in the first one. They walked down that road straight again. People were up with pitchforks, particularly a lot of insecure men who were upset that Brie Larson. Just give me a break. They feel like they're doing the same thing with Rachel Zegler. They were attacking Brie Larson when she said, like, I don't need men judging this type of film. It's not for you. But I'm like, why do you care so much? Why? Get off your soapbox. She doesn't care. They, you, why do you care? Just, just stop attacking Stop attacking these people based on a couple comments they made and taking the rest of their comments out of context for the history of their lives. They, I hope they have a good mental support system. But 
It's just, oh, six so angry. But I think not having one strong supporting male character, Nick Fury is here, but they really damaged his image and power with Secret Invasion this summer. And superhero movies are created mostly to the male demographic, even though 40% of women or 45% are still viewed by women. Most of the big loud people are male demographic and the people that are spending the big bucks, I feel, or take their girlfriends, whatever. So I think they need a one big male character to help this film out when we have all of these female characters. I'm so really freaking excited for this film. I think the action set pieces are going to be great. Looks to be a ton of them based on the trailers. And I already have tickets to see it Thursday opening night and then the, the day after Friday with some friends for their birthday. But I hopefully this will get another wake up call for Marvel this year after Ant-Man 3 and Secret Invasion. Hopefully they'll be able to get back on track after all of this also lastly before i end this bit into this part of the section if there is a Mar something from the marvels leaked i think a cameo something leaked if i muted all the words when i found out something from it leaked huge at the very end if someone spoils that i swear stop spoiling the fun stuff it's just oh uh, dr strange was ruined i don't know a bunch of these marvel movies are getting ruined because people purposely leak it i'm just like who wants to have this all leaked for them and there's just oh they're ruining it for everybody it makes me so mad and all these algorithms think i'm gonna love to see this no stop showing it to me i hate it stop i don't want to see any more leaks from any marvel films ever just stop i'm done but we got to continue with the marvel news after that little bit of a of a rant right there and we got to talk about loki episode season two episode four and it's so so good oh my goodness it was just Oh, it was this great night of TV Thursday was. And we'll talk about Gen V in a second here. But Loki episode four was just, wow. It was amazing. So I want to start breaking it down before I go overall picture. So we're just going to go through scene by scene, talk about it. First of all, it opens back up with Ravona and Miss Minutes, who are talking, continuing their conversation from the end of last film when Miss Minutes tells her the secret. Ravona led He Who Remains armies. And then after they won, He Who Remains decides to wipe the rest of their memories, all of her memories. She gets no credit for what she did. And she stuck there. And I feel like that was such a move to do. Miss Minutes and Ravona team up and decide that they are they never needed He Who Remains. They can do this on their own. And I support that. Ravona feels betrayed as she should. Kang just really sucks, man. And I'm just like, oh, oh, especially with all the sexual sexual assault allegations against the actor. And I'm like, just putting it on that person. I don't know why. Innocent to proven guilty. But I just feel, oh, just Kang is just driving me crazy, which is what a good villain should do. But Oh, that's just so awful. He just wiped all their minds and it just like makes me like, okay, I'm ready. I'm, he's already dead, so we can't kill him again. But I'm like, let's kill him again. So they kind of kill the other version of him. Warning, spoilers. I forgot to mention the main this video. This has spoilers. Ravona, this episode and this kind of season, I have to feel like Loki, Sylvie, and Mobius are taking the backseat and rather being involved. They're rather than being involved directly in the plot, they're just guiding the more involved characters like Victor Timely, Ravona, Miss Minutes, and Bradley, and a few other people. They don't feel like as involved as they were last season. Maybe they'll change the next coming episodes especially with the OB and Casey being added, trying to fix the problem. It feels like they're just running around trying to keep everything in order rather than being directly involved. But the annoying Victor Timely still doesn't feel safe. and they But they finally convince him to come down and unlock the gate using his temporal aura because they need him to get in, open the shield, fix everything. And he's just so annoying because he's like, what's this? What's this? He keeps getting distracted. They have to pull him back. That's Loki's goal in this thing. It's just to keep Victor Timely on the timeline. I'm like, sure. It's driving me crazy. Hunter B15, we catch up with her again after we didn't really see her last episode. And she's been changing minds and hearts over there about what the TVA should be doing. And it's going, she's going to try to change X5 and the Scottish general and all those other prisoners, the people that blew up the timeline in episode two. She's going to try to change their minds so they don't have to prune them, they don't have to kill them, and they don't have to keep them prisoners. So it's a win-win. They can try to convince them. But they come, um, they just, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. I'll come back to the second. They come up with a plan, our crew. I'm going to call Loki, Sylvie, Mobius, Casey, OB, and Victor Timely. The crew. I can't even name them off so fast, but those are going to be our crew. They come up to the crew comes up with a plan to fix the temporal loon, and that involves someone going out there again, shooting an object at it, and 
So I'm hoping to fix it with that machine. Is that the only way to fix this machine is going out there and shooting something on it? It feels like that's a bad design system right there. But I think the best scene so far this show, and that is the conversation between Loki and Sylvia about whether or not they're playing God here by reinstating the TVA. But then Loki makes the remark that it's way easier to destroy something than it is to rebuild and change it institutionally, which is what they're trying to do. The acting was perfect, but the best line in the end was when Loki says that they were gods. When she questioned if we're playing God here, I love how Loki says, no, but we are gods. Oh, it was such a good scene. And the going back and forth between them about the fate of the TVA, perfect. But now they're on the same page. They're aligned. We're going. Let's go. But then we get the darkest scene in the entire show and one of the darkest scenes in the MCU. And that's when Ravona goes to convince the prisoners that Hunter B-15 said she was going to change and convince to go the right way. She convinces the pri- she wants to convince those prisoners to join Ravona and Miss Minutes and return for their lives on the timeline once they're done. Only X5 or otherwise known as Brad, who has his life as the actor on the timeline, joins up with her. Then Miss Minutes proceeds to power on the cube device that was used in episode 2 to torture Brad and kills the entire group of prisoners, turning them all into mush. And you can hear the liquid. Miss Miss Minutes has the biggest smile on her face. Just absolutely brutal. You see how Ravona became a war general for Kang and basically led the army because, ooh, ooh, that was rough. And then you see Hunter B-15 when she walks in, her, her facial reaction was just perfect when she saw that and you could hear the liquid splittering from smushing of the body so it was just oh it was brutal then as the main crew is working on the machine to fix everything miss minute starts to hack the system and they are all shut out as victor timely goes to get hot chocolate oh my word he's so annoying because he immediately gets captured because he cannot stay in one place dude it's not that hard even though he had a guard with him let's stay all together let's not take any chances and may have led to his death so i'm like okay but then we see that the crew resets the entire tva system and that includes letting magic be used in the tva it was funny when loki and sylvie both yelled yes when they asked if they should turn back on the magic powers or not and they just both went immediately yes and i was like oh okay we're going to use some magic here inside the tva i wonder if they're going to use the infinity stones that are stored there or any other important relics that are stored there next episode since it's turned off now in this process of rebooting though they shut off rebooting rebooting they shut off miss minutes and she shuts off by going back through her stages of development and eventually it was so cool seeing her go back to the original clock and before like just going back and forth it was this awesome scene before disappearing and screaming one last one last line she says she says i need to tell you something to he who remains and you think she's gonna proclaim her love to victor timely by the way she's phrasing it like how she she loved he who remained but instead of the end, right before she's cut off, she says, you will never be him. And that struck deep, man. That was so scary when she said that. And she's been the MVP this season. And I really hope she isn't done forever. And I hope they get her system back up and running because she's such an interesting character, even though she's completely insane. But I love her completely insanity. And she's just so entertaining to watch, especially with the animation. Oh, I can't lose you, Miss Minutes. I can't. Ravona, on the other hand, we can leave her in the dirt where she belongs. But not that Sylvia, but now that so- Sylvie and Loki have magic in, Again, they enchant X5, and then he prunes Ravona. I'm curious if they're going to rescue her or not, like they did last season with the characters that got pruned. I think she just might be done as a character now, but we'll see. Um, and the, oh, and all of this while we're running around, we see that Loki in the future was the person who pruned his prior self in the first episode. So it all comes full circle about who did what pruning to who. They finally get Victor Timely back after killing Ravona, disappearing in minutes. Everybody's dying. Um, then we finally get back Victor Timeline back with the rest of the crew and they have all the parts ready to fix the timeline and all they need now is a volunteer to go out there and fix the machine before it implodes. They all go around debating who it should be but Victor Timely volunteers and says that he knows exactly how the machine operates so he has to be one to go out there and fix it. So they're going to give him his huge hero moment but as soon as he steps out he immediately turns to mush and disappears. He's dead. He's gone. He immediately dies. 
And that's when I gas I gas when this happened. Also, I somewhat rejoiced because I did not like this character one bit, nor the performance by Jonathan Majors. It sucked here. Then, as all the characters start to question what just happened, the machine controlling the timeline implodes, and the whole timeline implodes our, as all of the characters watch as the light gets brighter and brighter before we cut to black when it becomes fully white around Tom Anderson's face. The music in this scene. I was holding on for something else because they held on black for a minute there before cutting to the credits. It was just, wow. I just I couldn't believe what they were doing. I'm like, wow. You just had another gasp on my face just like we did with Loki season one. This feels like the ending of season two if we were going to end it like season one without the filler episodes from season one. My dad thought this was the end of the season just like how they ended the first season on cliffhanger. But the showrunner said they were going to end this season conclusively, not end on a cliffhanger. We still got two more episodes to go, which the showrunner said are even better, which makes me super excited. They say they're even better than episode four, which like, wow, just an amazing ending. I have my jaw on the floor. The show is just incredible. I really love this episode and definitely the best episode of the season. And thank you so much for killing off, starting to kill off the characters I do not like as much. Ravona, not Miss Miss. Miss Miss, I love you. All those Scottish general people. They just got to kill. I don't know why by X5 didn't stab himself. That would solve a lot of problems. And then we got Victor Timon, like, all gone. Thank you. Thank you. Let's get back to our main crew. I don't really like Casey either. Mm, toss him off. We've seen Loki, Sylvie, Mobius, Obi now, and Hunter B-15. That's all I need. Everybody else, go bye-bye. And Miss Menace, of course. We need Miss Menace to join them. Miss Menace turned out good. Although, yeah, as I said, you better be my Miss Menace. Great episode of Marvel TV right here. And I think Marvel thinks so too because the Loki showrunners, it was announced today, that are now taking over their Daredevil show and will become the new showrunners and will direct some of the episodes of Daredevil Born Again. The restructuring, and you have all the drama involved there with them firing the past crew because it was bad, and I'm just like, glad they're taking the steps to make this a good show. The, the directors of Loki Season 2 and the showrunners also directed some of Moon Knight, but Loki Season 2 seems like a way bigger reflection of their work because there was a bunch of behind-the-scenes drama on Moon Knight and a lot of restructuring there, but they are getting their reward for making an excellent season of TV, and I can't wait to see where this goes and eventually go into Devil 3. It's just, it's all very, very. But I do want to continue talking about TV shows that released on Thursday night last week, and that has to do with Gen Z, the penultimate episode of Gen Z, Gen Z episode, Gen V, excuse me, episode seven. That show is just so good, and I highly recommend anyone catch up there and watch it before the finale comes out next week because there was just huge twists and revelations. I won't spoil it here, but just wow, Kate has become a huge standout, and just it's just almost as good as the boys. And I can't wait to see what this leads because they've already got Greenlit for season two and they're supposed to lead into the boys season four. And it's just, oh, it's so exciting. And I really have to mention that that show is just, just so, so, so good. But I do want to mention lastly here before we go, before we sign off is the Disney delays that just happened earlier today because of the SAG after strike, which is still going on. Actors are still on strike and they trying to meet with the studios who said if they don't get a deal done by the end of this week that they are going to hold out until January, which is such a stupid tactic and it's ruined so many people's livelihoods and it's really pissing me off. But as for Disney itself, they delayed two, two movies by almost over a year for each one of them. And the first one we got to talk about is Snow White, which delayed from March 24th of 2024 this year. It delayed from this year to March 21st, 2025, basically a year at this point. And I still understand why. I think what they're trying to do, my guess is, because I don't think they're doing reshoots, even though a lot of people say that, we'll get in that second. I think they're just trying to pad out their 2025 release calendar because they aren't able to film anything. So they're trying to spread out 2024 into 2024 and 2025 so that they aren't going to have blocks where they have nothing coming out, which I think is the main reason why they're doing this for both of these films. If that, that's my guess. We'll probably find out why eventually, but that's my guess right now. But they, if this is delay, at least they gave us a little tidbit of what's going to look like. They gave us a first look that shows Rachel Zegler in the scene in the dress. We saw her behind the scenes with the bright yellow. I don't know if I love the dress she has on, but we see her next to the weird CGI dwarfs 
which I also don't know if I love the CGI on their face. But it just, I don't know how much I liked it. It looked like Snow White, but also, I mean, if it's written by Greta Gerwig, that's kind of amazing. But also it's directed by Mark Webb, the director of Amazing Spider-Man 2. So they kind of balance each other out to where I'm just like, okay, I want to see Gal Gadot. I want to see what she looks like. But I think a teaser was already put together, about to be released in this next month or so. And they pushed it back a whole year. And that makes me really sad that they're pushing this back so far. Um, a lot of people are saying this is they're doing this for reshoot, reshoots. The hate for this movie, man, and the hate for Rachel Zegler is just unparalleled. And it's just that image that leaked earlier this year of the stand-ins, that was not real. And I don't think it ever was real. That Daily Wire put out just to incite, incite drama. And then they pointed to her, Rachel Zegler, saying that it's time to change and they're going to change up the story of Snow White. All of these people that came out advocating for the original Snow White that is over 100 years old, it is still there. They are not touching that original. They're, your childhood won't be... No one was alive. Your childhood, nobody was alive. You were lying to yourself if you're online and you were born in 1915. No, you're dead. So just stop saying they're ruining my childhood or whatever. It's just, it's just so annoying. And I'm just so tired of people just hating. If you search on YouTube Rachel Zegler for the past week, it'll just pull up videos hating on her and sending rumors that Jenna Ortega is replacing her in Snow White. And I feel bad for Jenna Ortega, too, because she's getting roped in this, too. And I just hope Rachel Zegler and Jenna Ortega at this point have a good support system. And they just know that none of this is true. But there's so many people out there that are believing this stupid crap. And it's really bogging down Snow White, even though it might be a mad mo bad movie. I mean, I don't really love all Disney live-action live remakes. But it's not bad because of the choices Rachel Zegler is making, okay, people? Like, let's just lay off the attacks on this this young actress who just started, she's started in two movies so far, she's Hunger Games coming out, then Snow White, she's new to the industry, can we please stop dogpiling on her? This is just so awful to watch, and I feel so bad for her, and I'm sorry for my little rant here, but I really just want to put this out, that can we please stop attacking her based on false rumors and statements that are taken out of context? Let's just see, let's judge the movie itself, and why these dwarfs look really like weird CGI, and I really... Don't know how much I like the costume on Rachel Zegler, but let's just stop judging her and attacking her and tearing her down because we don't need to do that as a society. We can stop tearing down mostly these female actresses. Like we had that with Jennifer Lawrence. We had that with Anne Hathaway where they put them up on this pedestal and they tear them right down. Like what they said in Air with that beautiful speech about Damon Game. We're tearing these people down as soon as we put them up on a pedestal. And it's so sad to watch people hold our eyes because we can do nothing about it because so many of these people are idiots. Okay. Oh, sorry about my little Snow White rant there, but I'm still kind of looking forward to this. I don't know. We'll see. As for the other film that got delayed, Elio, Pixar, Disney and Pixar's Elio was delayed from March 8th, 2024 to June 13th, 2025. Wow. Inside Out is now Inside Out 2 is now the only Disney and Pixar film to be released next year, which I think is mid-June. So their state, their new date is mid-June for Disney and Pixar. And that's supposed to have a trailer coming up pretty soon. But I really liked the trailer for Elio. And it was so funny. The, the, the it was pretty funny. <laughs> and I I mean it was a little bit teaser trailer, but a whole year, I think I said they're trying to pad out their schedule. So they're gonna do one Pixar film a year, and I feel like they're more confident inside out too to carry the box office 2024 when they have more hope in 2025 itself. So the first Disney film now coming out next year, after I think it's the Marvel's Wish, and then we wait for, or we have past things, which is Fox in December, and then we wait all the way to May 1st, or somewhere on May, May 3rd, I think, of 2024, which is, they still say it's Deadpool 3. It's not. They don't have, they have only shot half of it. They don't have time to finish it. But it's a rumor that we'll switch out with Captain America, Brave New World, so that'll probably open the summer. And then you got Mufasa, The Lion King spinoff, sequel, prequel, I don't know what it is. They got that coming next week in 
July, I believe. So it's not going to, there's not going to be, there's next year, it's going to be a bit rough for movie theater owners. It's going to be like another COVID year, all because the studios are so freaking greedy and it's really annoying. But theaters are going to have a rough, a rough time this coming, this coming spring and next year and everything. And I just hope they can make it through it. So Disney delays Snow White and Elio. And I'm still looking, I'm way more looking forward to Elio than Snow White because I mean, I'm just not a huge fan of little Disney live action remakes. But they both been delayed over a year, which is kind of sad because we're putting them off into the ether so far up, so far away. As for what's coming next week, we got a smaller movie, which I don't think I'll be able to review, and that is Priscilla. I don't know if this film will be playing at my local theaters, but if it is, I will try to make it out and see it. I have only seen one trailer, and I've only seen it once, and it looks passable, but it has rave reactions coming out of the film festivals. It I, it attended, and I'm very excited to see another Elvis take after last year's Elvis, which I already loved and loved Tom. Um, what is this? I want to have Tom Hanks in that. I love Tom Hanks in that. Austin Butler was great. Just I love the Elvis rendition. Hopefully this can live up to that. Who knows? I might see it. I might not. I might wait till it comes home, depending on if it's available in my area. And also if it has any Oscar chances at this point, because I'll watch all the Oscar bait films. So we'll see. We'll see. Got a busy week tomorrow. And then you got Invincible Season 2. I am incredibly excited for Invincible Season 2. I just recently rewatched the first season, and the show is incredibly good. Action, writing, and characters are all top-notch, and you really feel every emotional beat even though the animation is not really top notch. I don't know how season two is going to live that first season, but I recently put on the Adam Eve special. That was fantastic. And the early early reactions say season two is, is good, if not better than the first season. So that leaves me so freaking excited. The only thing that makes me angry is that Loki episode five, Gen V episode eight, the finale, and Invincible season two, episode one, all premiere on the same night, which is also Thursday night football. Who the heck is scheduling this stuff? They are really pissing me off. Let's get, let's everybody, let's get together and talk about what time when to release this stuff because it is not working out. And my Thursdays are just all over the board because I see new movies that day. My Thursdays are just crazy at this point. I moved the podcast recording day back to Friday. So I give myself some extra space there, but let's stop. Let's stop, okay? But that'll do it for this week's episode of Seeing All. What did you think of Finance at Freddy's? What did you think of Loki episode four? How are your thoughts about Snow White? If you're hating on Rachel Zegler, please don't let me know. But that'll do it for this week. And make sure to come back next week for my Invincible Season 2 Episode 1 review. Probably I'll talk about Gen V at this point since it's wrapping up. It'll probably just be big TV episode. Loki Episode 5, Box Office. It'll probably be big TV because I don't think I'll make it out to see a new movie regarding my schedule next week. So i probably just be a giant TV review. But it'll be fun. But make sure you let me know what you guys think. Make sure to follow us on our socials, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that sort of stuff. Make sure you come back next week. But thank you all so much for listening. Have a good night now. Bye-bye.